Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, when you hear that term, the law, some of you are just wondering, what do you mean from the law? Does that mean from, like, uh, the laws of the land? Does that mean the laws of the government, the federal, state, whatever? What laws are we talking about? You know what? That's a very legitimate question that you're asking right now. Because it is a good question. What laws are we really freed from? What what are we delivered from? What laws are there? Well, if we go into Scripture, you're going to find, because that's what we're studying right now, is the laws of God. Now, when I use the word the law, and you'll hear me often refer to the law, I want you to know that it's not just one law. We almost could take that definite article away and just say law and just let it go as as law. Some of you, when you hear the law, you might think it's the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue they refer to. Yeah, it's the Decalogue, but it's a lot more than that. And if you study rabbinical teachings from the Bible, then past the Bible times of the Old Testament, the rabbis kept changing and adding to and amplifying, so it became a lot more than Ten Commandments than the biblical commandments to other commandments, mandates and principles and all of that. So I like to generally refer to that as rules, rituals, resolutions, all those things that are in Scripture and beyond Scripture. So we're going to talk about that and understand a little bit about the law. Now, why would Paul be speaking to the people during the time that he was on the earth about the law that was really established literally hundreds and hundreds of years before then? Why why was that so important? What was really going on? So let me give you a little background of the intensity of the law and why he's speaking to that, and then I'll explain how it relates to us today. If you really go back to Scripture, you know the law was given much earlier on. And when the law was given, it was given to Moses. Then Moses then uh, gave it to the people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, after the law was already given to Moses, Moses then really hammered, particularly the fathers, to tell the sons that they must know the law, they must teach the law, they must apply the law. And the major part of the law was to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. So what he was doing was explaining, you can see God in the law and how God operates, and that now we work together and get God by understanding the Old Testament law. Now be very careful, we're not saying keep the law to be saved. Now again, that began to put the law on the map in Deuteronomy. As you continue to move through this, you're going to find David then talks a lot about the law. And when he did, he spoke two times pretty loudly about it. The first time would be found in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, he talks about how beautiful the law really is. So while this morning, and perhaps some next week, I'm going to show you a lot of the dangers in the law, I don't want you to be imbalanced in that. I want you to know that the law is very good, and it's righteous, and it's holy. So the law has great purpose, and there's value in the law, as long as we don't misuse it, all right? It's like sugar, when you put sugar in your dessert. Having a little bit of sugar in there kind of sweetens it up a little bit. But if all you did was just grab five pounds of sugar and suck it all down, I can only imagine what we're going to be, all right? So again, there's purpose in what we do. Now you go to Psalm 119, and David then takes Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm of the psalms, and in a sense, if you want to refer to a psalm as a chapter, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and all the verses in that psalm refer to the law, all but about four of them. In addition to that, 
The law is then used in different ways with different synonyms. These are words that sound differently but basically mean the same. And so you'll see the word law, you'll see the word word, the word way, the word statutes, the word precepts. So it's used ten different ways, all referring to law of God. So now again, if I could take you in a time machine and put you back in those days and you're living among the Jewish people and you're living among those that are more what we'll refer to as Orthodox Jews, those who haven't really bowed their knee to Baal, you're going to find that as a little boy growing up that you'd be seeing the reverence for the law. You would then grow up having reverence for the law. You would know the law. You would apply the law the best you could and probably would fail and that's why you have all of the forgiveness things and the sacrifices, etc. You'd be teaching it to your family. Everywhere you went, you'd see the, the law. There'd be reminders of what you'd be wearing. There'd be reminders on your clothes. There'd be reminders on your door. You'd see the reminders of the law everywhere. So all of a sudden, the value of the law, as much as it's valued, all of a sudden is like, pump it up the volume! And you can't really want to hear it long very much. And so what they're doing now is they've now taken the law from being a system that might guide humanity and keep them working better together as well as understanding the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. They now took the law as you moved into the time of Christ and added more to the law and said, all right, this law is now to be used as a way to get to God for salvation. So again, they've taken it way beyond the real purpose of it. So now it became so very important for them. Now, if you go through the study of the life of Christ, and we did that for two and a half years in the Gospel of John, you saw that Jesus was just hit on all the time because of how he approached the law and who he was and what he was operating, who Christ was and what he did with the law, what he didn't do with the law. And those of you that were with us in that study, you understand that even the Pharisees were having trouble with Jesus, and there was that contrast with the law. And yet even Jesus did not put down the law. You can read that in Matthew chapter 5. There's a value for it. So I wanted you to understand that the law really takes on a new effect. Now in today's time, in the postmodern world, the law, and I'll just now for a moment for our, our time together, reduce it to the Ten Commandments. You will find a great deal of Protestant, maybe some Catholics, those that are of the so-called, and I put quotes up here as Christians, although I really debate on Christians, because true Christians are those who place their faith alone in Christ. But the world would look upon a Christian as, as anyone who's not atheist, a Jew, or Muslim, or maybe of some Asian belief system. All right, They would say that a Christian. And there was a great movement to take the Ten Commandments, put them on signs, and put them on your, your yards, to put them up everywhere that you went, because that was very important for people to know the value of the Ten Commandments. That was re- actually a reaction to the desire by the secular worldview to take down the Ten Commandments from courthouse steps, public buildings, schools, and everything else. And so they were saying, we don't want that. If you take it down there, we're going to put it up here. So it became now a battle of the signs, which goes up, which goes down. And again, what's the purpose of all of this? And so we can go on a lot of rabbit trails, again, to show you how the world is now looking at this. But it still boils down basically to this legalism in some fashion, which is a belief system that says that man must do something to win the approval of God to get close to God either here or in heaven later on or both. So again, that's how they view the law. Now, if you would talk to the man on the street, that's what you're going to hear. And so what I would like you to have is a balanced theological basis to see value in the law, but not take the law and distort it or twist it or or compromise the law for its intended purpose. So that's why we're covering these truths today. And yet, I wish I had weeks and months to cover this because it's so rich and so valuable, and yet at the same time, misunderstood, so dangerous, and at the end, so damnable. 
And so we want to make sure that we have it correctly understood. So if you have your Bibles now, let's open them up and let me go quickly through verses 1 through verse 14 or as best as I can in the time that I have. Let's talk a moment for the reason we are free from the law. Notice what Paul begins to say here. He says, Or do you not know, brethren? And then you'll see a phrase in parentheses, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. If you left that phrase out, let's just leave it out for a moment and read it this way. Or do you not know, brethren, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? So he asks that question. But he throws in this parenthesis here because he's kind of doing it in a way to remind them. But you guys, you know this law. So let's talk about that for just a moment so you understand. When Paul is using the word brethren, most of the time he's referring to those who are Christian in general, but Jewish Christians specifically. So he's not written, writing this to those who do not know Christ as Savior. He is writing to those who know Christ as Savior. Are you with me so far? Okay. So some of you might be sitting back and saying, why don't you give me how to get out of debt, messages on how to raise my family and all of this kind of stuff. Why do I need to know all of this stuff? I'm already a believer. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Don't you know this about the law, believers? Well, the real issue is, is they probably know some of it. Some know all of it correctly. Some know none of it correctly. And what he's really trying to do is to make sure everybody is on a level playing field as line upon line, truth upon truth is being taught. So I'm not doing anything different than the Apostle Paul. I'm teaching doctrine of salvation to those who are saved. And Paul is teaching the doctrine of salvation in Rome to those who are already saved, Romans 4, 5, all right? So back with that, you understand what he's doing here. So he begins by saying, Do you not know, brethren, especially you that know the law, that the law has no jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Some people might say, well, maybe he's speaking about the laws of Rome that was put upon those people in that church. It could refer to that. I, I get that. But I think more specifically, Paul never really refers in any of his writings to political laws of the land where people lived hardly at all, if at all. But he often referred to the religious law of the Jewish people. And so I believe this is referring to the laws I spoke to in the beginning of our introduction here. So he is speaking about that. Now he explains a little bit about it. He says that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now, when you think about that, that doesn't take a whole lot of, you know, deep teaching. If um, there was a driver and he was at fault in an accident and he, he got killed in that accident, do you think they would give that dead driver a ticket? No, he's dead. The law has no rule over him. He's dead. Now, the insurance companies might fight it all out who gets what for that, but he himself would not be ticketed because he is dead. Now, we would understand that because they didn't drive. Maybe they donkeys ran into, I don't know, trees or something. But at this particular point, he likes to use something that everybody can easily understand, and that is the marriage illustration. Now, when I read this to you, I'm not reading here what does the Bible have to say about marriage and remarriage and a whole marital uh, expose on it. It's used more of as an illustration or a metaphor for us to understand. So let me go a little bit deeper. So let's continue in the passage, and here's what it says. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. All right, if you don't mind, I'm going to use Carol and me because we're kind of more public or visible. Uh, we have a great marriage, so whatever I say, it's built upon a great message or marriage. Say yes, Carol, right? Okay. Now, <clears throat> we are married. That means Carol would not step out, could not legally step out and marry someone else. If she did, I would hunt that guy down. I really would. No, but getting back to this. If that happened, all right, she would be known as a bigamist or an adulteress, all right, because in our land, our law says you're married to one and only one. However, should I die, don't hear that one, 
All right, should I die, that means Carol is free to remarry. <laughs> Takes too long to train the next one, I know. All right. <clears throat> She's then free to remarry. No one would accuse her. She'd have to pay no fine. She could do that because the law says, because I died. Now, let's do this for just a moment. Let's assume that the husband is the law for just a moment. And, of course, in this case, in the context here, that we're going to talk about Christ being the next husband. All right? So now we have the law. Now, when you have the law, the law is going to have a perfect set of standards, perfect things that they want to have done. They're going to judge those if they're going to obey the law, how they obey the law, when they obey the law, how many of the laws they obeyed. All of that is being done. So the law becomes what I'm going to refer to as a heavy taskmaster. In fact, doing the law, it does do one thing. It gives you parameters. It does tell you where you stand, and then it tells you how you failed where you stand. How would you like to be married to a husband who was absolutely perfect in itself and that he wanted you to be absolutely perfect in everything you did from the meals that you cooked to the way you talked to him, the way you did or did not do things? That was the law. And when you're under the law, you're under bondage. Now, again, for those of you that want more, I encourage you to read the book of Galatians in partnership with the book of Romans because they both go together. I would think a great small group ministry would cover both of those books sometime back to back or maybe blend them together to understand how they bounce back and forth. Back to this now. That's a heavy taskmaster. And so maybe, Carol, if I was that way, and I hope that I'm not, I'm perfect and I want her to be perfect and I demand it out of her, she would not be a happy camper for very long. So she probably would be thinking... I wonder when Stan's going to croak, you know, so I get my freedom. Or maybe she'd be thinking, he's not croaking soon enough. Maybe I've got to do that for him, help him along a little bit, you know, because she's underneath that bondage. Now, there are a lot of people, as they begin to grow up under that kind of thinking, that I've got to do this to make God happy so he'll accept me into heaven or into his family, and it becomes so hard I really can't do it. And all of a sudden, they basically shut down, and then they decide that can't be the real God, so they create their own God, or they go looking for a God that they kind of like, that they created in their mind, so they build up this expectation and they try to find some God out there that fulfills that expectation. Because actually it's very hard to believe that there'd be a God out there that'd say, you know, you're a sinner, that's okay, I'll pay for your sin, I'll give you eternal life, all you've got to do is trust me as Savior, and then from then on you can then grow. It's hard to believe a God that's so full of grace, all right? Because we don't know any authority figures so full of grace and do-overs and mercy like God is. So therefore, you've got this law as a heavy taskmaster. And now, once you are free from the law, once the law, basically, you are dead to that law, you now have the freedom in a very special way. So let's go back to the passage again. And let me read it to you, and then we'll go a little bit further. It says, For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he's living, but if he dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she's not adulterous, though she is joined to another man. So you have another free opportunity to fully engage in the Lord and how precious that really is. Well, let's go a little bit further, if you will. Let's go to number two. I want to talk about the benefits of being free from the law. Um, there was a good friend of mine. His name is Larry Moyer with uh, Evantel. And he has a phrase that I really like. And he says, you don't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. Do you like that? Write that down. You'll never know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. That really works. So often when you're giving the gospel and you're sharing the message with someone, it's easy to just jump right into the good news. 
But sometimes that's kind of like another bit of good information with someone because they're just putting up against something else that's not so bad. But at the same time, if they really know what the condition in which they are, how bad they really are, how much they need a Savior, they're more apt then to run to Christ. In fact, if I could say it this way, it's harder for me to get a lost person to see how lost he is than it is for me to get that lost person to trust Christ once he knows he's lost. Did you catch what I just said? It's harder to get a lost person to see how really lost he is than it is to help a person know Jesus Christ as their Savior by faith alone once they know how lost they really are. And so the benefit of the law is to understand how lost we are. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Let's go back to the passage because I want to show you some of the positive benefits. I want to approach this from a positive perspective. But go back to the verse. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Now, why would the word also be? Well, you can tie also to the first part of that chapter, also that you're dead to the law. Now you're also tied to Christ. But I would like to go a little bit further than that. Look up here, if you will. If chapter 6 dealt with sin and we're dead to sin, now he's saying you're a dead to the law, so you are also dead to the law, which means you're not only dead to sin when you trust Christ as Savior, but you're also dead to the law. So you've got two bodies behind you, sin and the law, because that's put to death when you've trusted Christ as Savior. And we'll explain the value of the law and what, how it relates to sin a little bit later on in the message. So go back to this. So you're also made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to another, to another person? No, no, no. To him, you're joined to him who is raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God, which I'll talk about the fruit for God in a moment. But I like this, that you be raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now look up here, if you will. When I was teaching you Romans chapter 6, I used this arm right here to represent Christ. We talked about principles of interpretation. One of them is known as the first mention principle. And so one of the first mention principles we find from the book of Genesis and all about the law and that it pointed people to a Messiah, to the Lamb of God. Another is what we call the identification principle, where we identify. So my arm over here, those of you that just can hear this message, all right, my left arm is going to represent Christ. All right, when he died, he died. Of course, he was placed in a tomb, and then he resurrected again. So he died, and he resurrected. Now, that's what he did, and he did that for the complete payment for all sin for all time. He died, and he rose again. Now, we over here on this side, we don't do anything to overcome our sin. We don't keep the law so that we can go to heaven. The only way we can get to heaven is through the person of Christ and, of course, the work that he did. And the particular work that he did that satisfied it for our salvation ultimately was his death and his resurrection, which now when I place my faith in Christ, I am then united with Christ. So that means 2,000 years ago when I trusted Christ, it's as if I died with Christ and I rose again with Christ. Now, we can go all about how Christ then went to heaven and yada, yada, and that's all important. That's eschatology and other things that are coming back. But here's what I want you to know. When he came back to life, what he really did was showing the death and the life, and that's eternal, wonderful quality, eternal life. And when I trust in Christ, I died, and now I have, here it is, new life. And part of that new life is my resurrection to heaven. But I have that resurrection life now. So if you know Christ is your Savior, you have a new life now. And that's the beauty of the identification. He died, he rose again. Since he did that, and I'm now in Christ, I died with him, rose with him, and I too have that new life. Watch, Jesus never died, again, to pay for sin, never had to. He never died of a cold heart attack or cancer. He is alive forevermore. That means my body will die, but the real me will never die again. So I will not die. 
Death for me as a believer is probably nothing more than me cutting off a little fingernail here and the fingernail I throw away, but the real me still goes on. Death is like I shed my body, but the real nut's gone, okay? I'm going to go to heaven because of the soul and spirit. It'll live forever because of what Christ has done. So let's go back to the passage again. So again, it says here, because he was raised and therefore were to bear fruit. I'll talk about the bearing fruit in a moment. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit. But this was different. It wasn't for God. This fruit was for death. Now keep looking at that verse because I want to show you just in this context how bad bad is so you can understand how good good news is just in this one passage. So when I get through the list here of the benefits, you can see the benefits as a result of how bad it was when we didn't know Christ as Savior. Let's go back to the passage. For it says, for while we were in the flesh. I'm going to refer to that in our unsaved situation or unsaved condition before we trusted Christ. While we were in the flesh. Now the flesh there is referring to that part of us that it's not just the outward physical flesh like my flesh skin and my eyes and my ears and all that kind of stuff. It's that propensity for evil. It's the sinful, the old, old self kind of thing. And then it says the sinful passions inside me that has all that flesh that's percolating in there. It's now driven by the impulses to think and to do evil. And that's my passions which were aroused by the law. Now, it's aroused by the law because I'm going really too fast for some of you. How can my evil passions be aroused by the law? All right? Let's go back, if we could, in a time machine on Oahu here. Before we had stop signs and stoplights and police and all that kind of stuff, maybe right at the very beginning of it. We had a lot of freedom then. There was an opportunity for us to go wherever we wanted. We get to a corner. We just kind of watch out so we don't hit somebody else that's maybe walking down the path, etc. We were okay. A lot of freedom. But as more and more laws came on the books, all of a sudden there was more junk that was going on. It started to reveal how selfish we are, how we wanted to go through the four ways first. We had the right to do this. So when you put more laws on people, what it does, it inflames the evil that's inside of us. It lets us know how depraved we really are because now there's this propensity to do evil. I have to tell you that um, I grew up in a painter's house. My dad was a house painter. My job was, uh, they didn't trust me with a paintbrush yet, but they did trust me to put up wet paint signs when they painted something so people wouldn't touch it. And it was, I was a little kolohe, so I would put the sign up, and then I would step back, and I would wait for people. Do you know how weird it is? You put up a wet paint sign, and what do you think people do when they see that wet paint sign? What do they do, everybody? They got to see if it's wet, all right? Is that really wet? Now, they would have never done that. They would have walked by that thing. Maybe they'd sit on it if it was wet. They didn't know. But, but most of the time, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't touch this thing. But the wet paint sign said, here's another one. Don't walk in the grass. <laughs> I want to walk in the grass, all right? So again, that's what inflames the passion within us. So the law arouses that within us. Let's go a little bit further. And then it says, arouses by the law, we're at work. That's the word energy. It was energizing. It was at work energizing me in the members of my body, which would be the outward hands, my, my actual physical body, to actually now function in a sinful way. So while sin is an inside job, it works itself out through my members, my hands, my eyes. I look at things I shouldn't look at. I say things I shouldn't say. I hear things that I shouldn't hear. I go places I shouldn't go. So again, my body is an outward action 
uh, a function, a member, an instrument of the sin that's inside of me that's been inflamed once the law is there. So all of a sudden I see, whoa, what the law's done showed me how bad I am and look at all of this stuff. And at the end of all of it, it brings forth death. And that would be spiritual death, eternal death, physical death, all of that wrapped up in sin. And that's what the law did. Now, some of you say, yeah, that nasty law, the best thing to do is get rid of the law, we live as we want. No, 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 that that is not the answer to it at all. We've seen all that. That's anarchy. That's what you have today in America. The more laws you have, do you think America is getting better? Do you think that we're better civilized people because we have more laws? We don't, and I don't have time to open this up, but you do your own thoughts. You take it into some of these other countries that have a belief system that is so far from us that people say it is such a passive deal, but it has such a propensity within them, and when you start going through their laws, it inflates them to do more evil, and then they carry on that evil in the name of their religion. All right, so you get all of that going because, again, law over people. And God says that is not the solution to get along better with one another, and it's certainly not the solution to us to have an intimate relationship with God. That is not the answer. All right, with that as our background, let's go a little bit further now. The last sentence says, But now we have been released from the law. I love that word released. Released from the law. It doesn't mean that we don't live by the law, we don't see the law, we don't see the value in the law. What we mean is we're released as being freed from the law, that it has purpose in our life. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.